well, guys, as you can see, um, we are getting ready for Vacation Bible School. Woo-hoo! Uh, man, I tell you what, it's a little different this year. Pray for us. Uh, tonight, we've, we've got two sessions in the evening to kick things off. But then starting Monday, we're doing morning sessions and evening sessions. And I've never, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so pray for us. It's going to be good. Um, so much work and prayer uh, has gone into it. So we're excited about that. Um, well, guys, this morning, I, I, I want to tell you, I love what we're doing this summer. I told my staff, don't ever let me, however, plan a summer. Uh, summer is supposed to be, we got a lot on our plate. So don't let me ever plan a sermon series over the summer where I'm preaching entire books every Sunday, okay? That is a lot of work every week uh, to go through. But I really enjoy it because we get the bigger view of what God's trying to teach us. And, and this summer specifically is we're going through books that, well, to be honest, we kind of overlook a lot. And so these minor prophets, really, really important. This morning, um, we're going to look at the book of Amos. Now, Amos is interesting. He was probably actually one of the very first prophets, which is kind of, uh, kind of crazy. Uh, and, he, and, and he wasn't like a professional. Uh, Amos was a, a shepherd, and he was a, uh, he was a fig tree farmer. All right? I, I didn't even know you could farm fig trees. That's a thing. Uh, so he was a farmer of sycamore fig trees. That's what he did. He lived in this little town uh, called Tekoa, which was about 11 miles south of Jerusalem. And remember, at this point, the kingdoms are divided, right? So there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So uh, Amos is doing his thing, and he's taking care of his sheep, and he's taking care of his fig trees. And God shows up, and he's like, hey, Amos, um, you're going to go up north, and you're going to prophesy to the northern kingdom because I ain't happy with what they're doing. And, and here's what they were doing. Now, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom during this period, uh, Jeroboam II is ruling up north. Remember, his dad is the one that built the temples to Bethel and Dan and, and set up those golden calves that, uh, and, and priestly calves. So all kinds of idolatry. Now they've worked in Baal worship and worship to Asherah. And, and all this stuff is going down. And God is just, he's like, I'm done because it's led to moral decay in their society. Right, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. They're also not caring for one another like they should. In fact, what's happened, all the idol worship has led them to a point that they're so self-centered that they're not only disregarding the poor, but they're actually abusing the poor. They're selling them into slavery. And then, and then they've rigged the justice system so that the poor can't get representation and get out. And God's heart is broken. And that's kind of where we, we pick up. That's, that's where Amos is going to speak into that situation. And I think there's some important lessons that we can learn from, from this book. And so I've got three things for you. And guys, here is the first. The first lesson I, I think we should learn, uh, this first major theme, I think it's important, is I want you to know this morning that God can use you. I think the book of Amos teaches us that God can use you, Right? And, and, and here's how we're introduced to Amos. Um, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. It says, the words of Amos, who was one of the sheep breeders from Tekoa, uh, what he saw regarding Israel in the days of King Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam, the son of Jehoash, king of Israel, uh, two years before the earthquake. And, and so, uh, listen, um, so again, Jeroboam is on the throne uh, king, uh, up north, King Isaiah. South, that name may sound familiar to you if you've studied the book of Isaiah. Remember, he says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I went to the temple and I saw the Lord seated on the throne. So we've kind of got those things going on. It says, and then Amos, a sheep breeder from Tekoa, and God tells this sheep breeder from Tekoa, he says, I want you to go to the northern kingdom and you're going to prophesy. And, and here's why. 
here's the things they're doing. And, he out, and God outlines all through the book of Amos all the stuff. And so moral decay has happened, right? He mentions specifically that a father and a son are sleeping with the same woman, probably a temple prostitute. It's like, that's not cool. Uh, and then God really tears into them about their treatment for the poor. He, and listen, here's how bad it was. Uh, people were being sold into debtor's prison uh, so, that, so that the people that, that per, could, could buy a new pair of sandals, right? Or a new dress. And then people would then go... Now listen, this was a very religious time. Like we hear about idolatry and we think, well, those are such irreligious people. No, these people were doing it in the temple. Then they would, they would wear those new sandals and that new dress to the temple where it was more like a party atmosphere and everyone would get drunk and, and, and do things. Like, like that's what life was like. And so they, they thought of themselves as very religious. They were going to the temple, but as they went to the temple, they're sleeping with temple prostitutes and they're doing all of this in the name of the Lord. And God's like, no, man, no more. And so, uh, so God says, Amos, I want you to go. And so when Amos shows up, uh, specifically, God tells him to go to, we call it Bethel, but it's Bethel. Uh, it's the southern temple. This was to prevent people from going to Jerusalem to worship the true God, is why it was really set up. Now, they said they were worshiping God here, but that's why Jeroboam set it up, is so that people wouldn't actually go to Jerusalem and worship God. So, so people would go to Bethel. So Amos shows up in Bethel, and he says, like, hey, God's going to judge you. God's going to judge you for everything that you're doing, for the way that you're living, and for your lack of love for your neighbor. God is going to judge you. Now, there's a high priest there in Bethel, and his name is Amaziah. So Amaziah hears the word of the Lord, and this is how he receives it. Uh, Amos 7, 12 through 13. This is what the text says. Uh, then Amaziah said to Amos, Go away, you seer. Flee to the land of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Earn your living and give your prophecies there. But don't you ever prophesy at Bethel again, for it's the king's sanctuary and a royal temple. Now, so many problems with that statement, right? So many problems. The fact that it's, it's the king's sanctuary. Like this is, no, this is supposed to be the house of the Lord. That's what you said it was, but clearly it's not. So now we, we know what it really is. This is a sanctuary set up by a king for idol worship. That's really what this is. But, but he says, listen, you go... And, and he says, you go earn your money in the south prophesying. Which is interesting. What he's saying is, you're a pro. You go, you go, you go earn your living down south. We don't want you here anymore. Uh, now, if you read the book of Amos, Amos then says to him, hey, by the way, because you said this, your wife's going to be a prostitute. God bless. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's what happens. I, I mean, they're, they're going to be killed, taken away. His wife's going to be sold into prostitution. But, but, but listen, so, so Amos, his response, though, immediately, I, I love it, uh, verse 14 and 15, it says, so Amos answered Amaziah, I was not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Rather, I was a herdsman, and I took care of, of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. That's the people in the north. And, and listen, I, I'm sure there are tons of pastors and Bible teachers that would have nothing to say about this, this, this background of Amos. But I think it's of huge importance, and here's why. I've been doing this long enough to know that many of you this morning hearing my voice don't think that you're good enough for God, special enough for God, talented enough for God. You just don't believe that God can use you to do anything big. And it breaks my heart, man. It, 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 listen, God is going to speak to his kids and he's going to say, hey, y'all need to repent because I'm going to judge you. And who does he choose to deliver the message? 
Does, does he choose a professional? Does he choose the person that is totally schooled or whose daddy was a great preacher? Absolutely not. He, he picks an untrained, ordinary men. It, aren't those the people that follow Jesus? Isn't that what we read in the book of Acts? That they were a bunch of untrained, ordinary men. And that's who he's going to use to deliver his message. And so listen, I, just, I think it's so important to say this this morning. Some of you have bought into the lie from the enemy that God cannot use you. Either because of your past or, or, or because you, you believe you don't, well, I just don't know enough. Well, guess what? When God speaks to you and says, hey, hey, here, and that's what the Bible is. It's God speaking to you. So you, you know enough. There's enough here. Some of you think, well, I'm just not talented enough, or I, I can't stand up in front of huge crowds, or I couldn't do this, or I couldn't do that. You have this long litany of reasons. Let me just break through all that junk this morning and say that the Bible is a history book of men and women just like you who God chose to use in powerful ways. And I, I don't know what you think of people that stand up in pulpits like me. I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm not a priest. I don't have any kind of background. I'm just a person. And if God can use me, he can use you. The first thing I think we need to learn from the book of Amos is that God can use you to do really, really amazing things. Second thing I want you to understand, according to the book of Amos, is that great calling comes with great responsibility. Great calling comes with great responsibility. And this is a huge theme throughout the book of Amos. And so kind of the question that I ask as I read, I'm like, man, why is God, uh, why is God wanting to deliver this message to the northern kingdom? Why is it so important? Why does God care? Why doesn't he just let them go? Why doesn't he just let them go? Why, why, does, why is God going to discipline uh, Israel? Why is he going to do that? And the answer is found in chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, verse 2. This is what God says. He says, I have known only you out of all of the clans of the earth. I'm going to say that again. God says, I have known only you out of all of the clans of the earth. Therefore, because of that, I will punish you for all of your iniquities. You know what God's saying? God, God's saying, listen, I chose you. Like, I could have chosen anyone, right? But I chose Abram. That's who I chose. And I showed up to Abram, and I said, Abram, come and follow me, and I'll make you the father of many nations, right? And Abram's like, yes, I'm, I'm going to go. And, 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 and then God's like, and hey, what about, what about Jacob, right? And, and what about Joseph? God's like, remember Joseph? Right, I protected him from his brothers, right? I, I put him in just the right situation in Egypt, became the second in charge. You remember how your entire family went to Egypt, and it's there that I grew you into a great nation. And, and when the Pharaoh changed and became evil, what did I do? I delivered you from the hands through, through mighty powers and works. I split the sea so you could walk across on dry land, right? I brought you to a new land that you could possess. I did all of this for you. God says, so I expect you to live differently. I expect you to live differently. And because you're not, I'm going to discipline you. Not because I'm mean, not because I hate you, but because I chose you and you're mine. And you are better than this. Right? Jesus in the New Testament puts it this way in Luke 12, 48. He says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Right? 
if God was willing to discipline his children, Israel, under the old covenant, when it was about their faithfulness and all that they did, I mean, that's what they had been given. They had been given a relationship with God, but, but they, also, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them, so they, they didn't have the gift of the Spirit yet. Right? They, it was about what they had. If, if God disciplined, if, if they were given this, and we're new covenant. That's what we did this morning. We took the Lord's Supper. New covenant. We now have the Holy Spirit in us. We have a teacher. We have a God. You, as a believer, have a voice inside of you. Constantly calling you to holiness that you reject. Right? Constantly calling you to, to righteousness that we, we're like, eh, not right now. You have the power of God in you to live the kind of life they didn't. You have the power in you, not on you, not occasionally, in you. You have the power of God every day to make the right decision in you. We've been given more. And friends, if we have been given more, don't you think for a second that God will not discipline us to get what He expects out of us, right? He's called us to go and make disciples of every nation. He tells us, to love Him with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And if you don't think Amos and the call to idolatry has anything to do with us today, then man, you're missing the point. To whom much is given, much is expected. Great calling comes with great responsibility, which is why this third point is so important. Really, the, the biggest theme of the book of Amos is Idolatry always leads to injustice. Idolatry always leads to injustice. So I, I want you to get a glimpse of what's going on, and, and I can't read the whole book to you, but, but literally from chapter 2 all the way through chapter like 7, uh, God is laying out His case against Israel and it gets ugly. Like I said, he says there's moral decay in your society. You've got a, a husband, or you've got a, man, a father and a son sleeping with the same woman. Uh, he says, like, listen, you're, you're, you're doing this to the poor. Um, you're selling them to slavery. Then you're refusing to give them counsel. So, so nobody will, uh, will stand up for them. And, and it just, it's leading to cyclical injustice. And, and God is angry. And so this is what God says to the people through Amos. Amos 5.12, he says, For I know your crimes are many, and your sins innumerable. They oppress the righteous, take a bribe, deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. Now, while this is going on, I, I want to remind you, they're still religious. Okay? If you don't think it's possible to be religious and, and still be an idolater, you're missing the point. So, they're religious. They are going to church while they are doing these things. In fact, at church, they're doing some of these things. And, and, and so, this is God's response to their personalized form of religion where they've kind of just worked in whatever feels good. Well, I'm going to worship this way and I'm going to do this. whatever. Like This is God's response to their, their uh, type of worship. Amos 5, 21 through 23. He says, I hate... I despise your feast. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings or fattened cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. 
I will not listen to the music of your harps. Whew. Those are to his kids. That's how God is speaking to his kids. And listen, I'm telling you, I'm fed up with this. Don't, you better stop doing this junk in my name. It sickens me. It sickens me when you do this junk in my name. But then God says this in verse 24, But let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. So what is that about? Right, what is that about? All right, so I'm going to break it down for you to the best of my ability. All right, that's limited, by the way. So here is the deal. Idolatry always involves what we call religious syncretism. All right? So, so as, as worshipers of Yahweh, of God, uh, we, we have one God, that's it. He says, no other gods before me. Amen? We're all there? That's, that's like, that's Ten Commandments. We got this. This is basic stuff. It's one God, no other gods before me. And so this God says, uh, here's how you worship me. You love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your spirit. That's the greatest command. Second greatest command is then you love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law hangs upon these two commandments. And so a bunch of the Ten Commandments is all about uh, us loving God rightly, which involves living rightly. If we're going to love God with all of our heart, we have to live the way that God tells us to live. So God has this standard up here. That is God's standard. The only God, there's only one God. He says, this is my standard. Right? There is no lessening of the standard. So religious syncretism, also known as idolatry, is when we take the surrounding religions and beliefs of others and we try to merge them into our worship of God. Now listen, if God's standard is here and it's the highest, anything you add to it is going to what? It's going to lessen it. And so, if as believers, we're called to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our spirit, that means that we're going to live moral lives like up here, right? Because that's always our aim. It doesn't mean that we won't fail, but it means like, listen, every day, uh, if I'm going to love God, then I have to put off uh, my, my desire for, you know, and, and you know, the whole list, right? The whole list. Don't, don't, don't desire wealth or, or you know, or, or money. Don't, don't love it so much that you're willing to do other things. He's like, don't, don't covet. Don't, like, all that other stuff. So all that stuff. My focus is supposed to be on God wholeheartedly. And if I do that, man, my life is going to look, it's going to take a certain trajectory. Anything less than that, anytime I add some other little g God to that, it lowers that standard, which is going to lead to the kind of stuff we see, right? Moral decay. So automatically, there's going to be moral decay because of our religious syncretism when we mix other standards in. No standard is as high as God. What else does it affect? It affects our love for one another. Idolatry at its heart is selfishness. I'm going to say this again. Idolatry at its heart is selfishness. It's about you choosing what you want to worship because of what you want to get out of it. And all selfishness, all focus on me, takes my focus away from others, right? Second greatest command, love God with everything that you are, everything that you have. And so idolatry, a lessening of that, is also going to lessen the way that I care for others because I'm more worried about what I want. I'm more worried about what I want. That's why idolatry always leads to injustice. It always leads to moral decay. It always, and, and, and you may think, well, yeah, that's great, Pastor. I, we don't live in the Old Testament. I don't have any idols. 
you better hold on because here comes the rest of the message. Ready? Uh, so what do we do because of it? Three things. Number one, uh, our calling as we study the book of Amos is to learn to purely pursue God. Purely pursue God. Purely uh, means rightly with all of our whole heart, with all of our mind, with all of our, our soul, pursue God. It means we have to stop trying to mix other religions and idols into our worship of God. And some of you are thinking, I don't do that. You are an American Christian. I promise you do. Right? Hey, what's the American dream? You guys shout it out for me. Right? We, we wrote it down even. You guys, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we believe as American Christians that somehow those things are connected, interconnected with God. Well, guess what? If you're pursuing happiness, I promise you're doing it at the sake of others. I promise. If you're pursuing happiness, I promise that you'll do it because you're a sinner at the sake of holiness. Right? If you don't think that that's an idol, man, you've you got to step back. I, I mean, listen, we look at a nation. This is a nation. God is judging a nation. He's going, dude, as a nation, you guys got it wrong. And I'm just telling you, here we are as a nation. We're like, no, this is what we're about. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. I'm just telling you, I mean, you've got to figure out how that works with the worship of God. Right? Because God never promises me happiness. That's not His promise unto me. Right? God promises me that He's going to be with me through ever what I endure, and He promises me that it's going to be worth it. But last I checked, Jesus said to me, like, hey, people are going to hate you. Life's going to be hard. They might even kill you, but it's going to be worth it, right? Love me, follow me with everything that you are. And so, listen, uh, those things, when you think about those things, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, I think about people and security. Uh, why are we so worried about other people, man? We, we have issues with immigration, our border, and this and that. And we're ang Christians are angry at people. We're angry at people who God made in His image. And we're, we're refusing to love people, right? Like, like, I'm sorry, like if somebody comes to your house and they're bleeding, do you just say to them, I'm, I'm sorry, you're just not my people? Right? I mean, if somebody's broken down on the side, I, I, man, I sure, I guess, I hope that person figures it out. Like, if, if a child comes to me and they don't have clothes, by golly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clothe that child. I'm going to send them to school because that is God's calling on my life and your life. And we got to stop all the political, J-U-N-K, I want to say another word with all my being, and we got to start loving people again because we don't worship politics. And we don't worship America or its dream. We worship the one true God who says we are all created by Him. And we all have value. And our calling is to look out for one another. And you say, well, who is my neighbor? And how far is my border? And God says, whatever you think is too far, keep going. That's the call. And if we don't think as Americans that the book of Amos has anything to do with us, we are lost. We are lost and neck deep in our idolatry. Alright? So we've got to purely pursue God. Second, we have to commit to helping others in need. Justice, when God says let justice flow like water, the Hebrew word justice literally means taking action to correct. That's justice. Justice is taking action to correct. That's what it is. That's our call. That's my call. How can I take actions to correct what is broken, what is wrong? 
Lastly, I think the book of Amos challenges us to believe that God can use us and then, of course, to let him do just that. To let him do just that. You may think, man, the problems you just talked about, Pastor, are so big, there is no way I can have any impact. Yes, there is. By the way, there is no true justice apart from God. I just want to say that to you guys. We've got a lot, I mean, there's a lot of justice movements out there right now, but if a justice movement any way uh, doesn't, also seek that morality component. That's a problem. On the same course, there is no morality component without justice. And so if, if you're not seeking to correct something and you're just going, nope, 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 like that's a problem. But justice and righteousness, those things are never divorced with God. Let them flow. That's the call. And I just want to tell you this morning, you may be overwhelmed by that, but God can use you in that. Pray. God, how can you use me? God, what do you want me to do? What do I do from here, all right? I'm going to pray for us. Um, We have some announcements. Some are really important about how Vacation Bible School kicks off tonight. Um, Some are important about our Bible reading program. We've got our new journals in. We've got our new Bible reading plans. Those are available. And uh, we also have a uh, baseball game to tell you about real quick. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, which is true. Uh, Help us incorporate, man, this great book, this call of the prophet Amos. And uh, it hurts, Lord. I'm just going to, I don't like it. I don't like preaching it. It makes me uncomfortable. But God, we need, to, we need to hear it so that we can live it, so that we can be changed. God, thank you for reminding us of when we get caught up in religious syncretism and we, we take things that are not of you and we idolize them and we, we make them life goals. God, you should be our life goal. That's it. Please take your proper place in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.